to another episode of Setting the Tone in ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Salutations. And Daniel. Hey. Today we discussed, that was a, a very delayed hey. I think we have uh, uh, more than usual lag between us than we normally do. Ah, okay. Fair enough. See, this is why Macs suck. Anyway. Shut up! <laughs> Today we're discussing Season 7, Episode 2, which is titled Sand and Water. The episode aired on October 19th in the year 2000. Learned what was going on that week 22 years ago. Uh, well, I can tell you this week, our listeners stepped up to the bat big time. And, oh boy, we, I believe, as Daniel put it, had almost record numbers of listener responses this week. So, Which is so weird for this episode. Yeah, we have that to look forward to. We'll get into it <laughs> later. But headlines for this week... The 2000 World Series is set to be a crosstown affair as both the New York Yankees and New York Mets win their respective league championships. Larry David's hit comedy show, Curb Your Enthusiasm, debuts on HBO. The show has gone on a couple of hiatuses over the years, but was recently renewed for a 12th season. Meet the Parents holds on to the box office crown for a second week, and... Come on over, baby. All I want is you. By Christina Aguilera takes over the top spot on music charts. And again, we are getting into when Lauren was an actual person and has memories. <laughs> and oh my God, this song is immediately stuck in my head. And the dueling uh, number one hits from Britney and Christina. We are in that era, yes. Which one are you more of a fan? Were you more of a fan of growing up? Uh, I think for my age, probably Britney because Christina was a little too racy. I think for like what I was allowed, not not even allowed to listen to, but what I was exposed to, um, I tended to just listen to more Britney by default. It's Britney, bitch. You heard it here first. <laughs> As for what else was on that evening, at 8 p.m., Friends with the episode The One with Phoebe's Cookies. At 8.30, a first half of mm. uh, an uh, hour of power from Will and Grace, with uh, first up with the episode Fear and Clothing. And <laughs> at nine with the episode Husbands and Trophy Wives. And at 9.30, Just Shoot Me with the episode A Night at the Plaza. This week's episode had 25.9 million viewers tuning in, directed by Christopher Missiano doing his seventh out of 11. Previous ones of his uh, from last season included Under Control and Great Expectations, and written by Jack Orman doing his 13th out of 28. Previous one, of course, was just last week with Homecoming. Uh, and keeping up uh, with our theme from last week's episode, having an alternate title, uh, the original title of this episode was apparently Way Too Soon. Uh, and then I guess they liked the song title better. I mean, the song works. So, but we'll, yeah, get, into we'll get into it. I don't know. I, uh... I liked it, but we'll, we'll get into it. First, our previously was brought to us by Benton. And uh, we opened with Corday running up the stairs in her robe with wet hair. We thought she was running up the L tracks at first. Well, Lauren did. To the L but, platform, yeah. yeah. Uh, but she was trying to prevent a parking ticket unsuccessfully. Uh, Mark used the last of the milk and then put like a, a couple dribbles back in the fridge. <laughs> Not a good use of the word dribbles. Ugh. <laughs> I mean, it's an accurate what? description. It's it's an accurate description, but I don't know why like dribbles and milk just grossed me out as a combination. But anyway. Okay, moving on. Uh, he was... He's an asshole no matter what, but... He's just a gross, like, m man here. Just yes. Weaponized incompetence all over the place. Yeah. But apparently, he paid for other parking tickets that Corday has gotten during their love affair. <laughs> and yeah, Mark just says, let's just say it wasn't your first ticket. Uh. And then the power goes, and the power goes out, too. As she's blow-drying her hair, yeah. 
Yeah. She's having a real one today. That scream when it goes out is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and this is where she's going through her like list of grievances about the apartment, about how the, the toilet rocks and there's mm-hmm. creatures scurrying about in the walls. I think she says at one point, mm-hmm. uh, shout Do you out. know what scurries? <laughs> shout out to jake terrell esquire uh but um (laughs) (laughs) but uh i what i was curious uh because i legitimately don't remember is this the last time that we're gonna see the susan slash mark apartment uh because of course as we know by the Mm -hmm. end of the episode they've uh picked out a new house or mark has picked out a new house uh so picked a good one yeah do we do we think this is the last time we're gonna see that set don't know it seems like a so. inauspicious end to you know a, a set piece that we've been seeing in one form or another since uh, I think like season two is the first time we see and, that apartment. And I, it's... I expect uh, the for the season seven wrap up uh, during our people who we lost as uh, Susan's apartment. <laughs> Susan's yep. apartment. It's been a mainstay yeah. for the entire series. So yeah, it really far. has. I'm just really I'm just really interested here because like for most of the series this is treated as a completely fine apartment. It's just this episode and maybe one before it where they start to treat it like a real shithole. Yeah. Marcus treated it like a shithole. No, but, but, but you're like right, the though. Whole time, the whole time David lived there, it was fine. When Susan and Chloe were living there, it was fine. Yeah. Like, it was never anything anybody complained about I until st- this. I still think as dude apartments go, it's pretty, like, trendy, in my opinion. Like, it's a kind yeah. of a cool apartment you know versus like remember his other apartment that he had very briefly uh before he before susan left and he moved into this one where it was like his sad bastard bachelor apartment where like he had ketchup in the refrigerator and that was it like he just had this very sad apartment so like i i'm like looking at him like oh i I would live in that apartment like it looks really cool but yeah to answer your question i do think this is the last we see of it uh, then we pivot over to Carter attending his first AA meeting, in Chicago at least, and um, he sees Abby a few rows ahead of him, and they make eye contact awkwardly. Prolonged dun, dun. eye contact. Thank you both for singing for that. Dun, and then we go, eye contact. And then we go in with some bangs, not really appropriate, but okay, um, and Mr. Fletcher is back. His shunt is clotted, ugh. And he missed dialysis yesterday. And Cleo gets to take him this time. Great. And I think she says, I see you called 911 again. And he goes, well, they're faster than the L train. Probably true. And hey, we should be in with bangers because the drama of seeing Abby. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it it could be considered bang worthy. I mean, that's a pretty. I don't know. It's they they just make awkward like, oh, hey. You're here, eye contact, yeah, and then they, it starts. So they may they maybe linger on it a a beat too long. Maybe I would have I would have maybe had like Abby make eye contact with the camera, and the camera just is Carter in that situation, and like then we like that like because you you can theater of the mind like you can fill in the blank there, and I feel like that could have worked maybe a little bit better, but it's definitely a a bang worthy revelation because this is a whole new character wrinkle that we're adding to Abby's uh, backstory here that previous to this episode there had been zero indication of so like it's a whole season of abby continues right it's a whole new thing um but mr fletcher also uh this will be his final appearance to this episode we'll we'll be seeing the last of him this week uh but we go from there uh to carter up in a waiting area uh, and he sees 
Benton with uh, coming in with Reese and Shirley as they're headed in for the day, and she's kind of chasing behind Benton to get him to do some important attending stuff, sign this piece of paper, attend this meeting, blah, 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 blah. And uh, Benton is, like, sort of taken off guard by Carter at first, and he says, you look good. And Carter's like, well, I couldn't look much worse than the last time you saw me, which if you saw him with yeah, that facial hair, that's fair. That's totally fair. I also thought uh, uh, Shirley got a little bit of a glow up, too. Like, she changed her hair a little bit, like... Excuse you, Benton didn't see the facial hair. I'm saying, being... I'm saying, if he oh. saw him with the facial hair, like gotcha. if gotcha. he saw that, that it would. I think he arguably looked worse with the facial hair than he did when he was like on drugs all the time. Like that was, you know, <laughs> it could always be worse. Uh, but at least he's not strung out while making bad facial exactly. hair decisions. Exactly. Uh, and I think this is the first time we've seen Reese in quite a while, too. Like, mm-hmm. And I was very excited to see him. I was like, look at this kid. It's always a good time when you see Reese. Um, but anyway, we will be seeing more of both of them a little bit later on. But we uh, go back down to the ER where our first one of our first patients is coming in, a 62-year-old female being brought in with slurred speech and loss of consciousness. And uh, Mark and Carrie are arguing over Carter's return. Carrie supports him coming back, but Mark is very, very cautious. And I forget who says this, but uh, Mark. Uh, Mark says, if he gets into trouble, it's too late. Yeah, because Carrie's like, oh, you know, we'll watch him. And if he gets into any trouble, we'll help him out. Yeah. I kind of felt like the uh, it was almost like role reversal here. Like, I would have expected the shoes to be on the other foot in this conversation. Like, I would have expected Carrie to be the overly cautious one and Mark to be the, like, gung-ho, full steam ahead. Like, he's fine. He'll be good. Bring him back. I, th- I think a little bit of it is Carrie feels responsible because she didn't catch it mm. to begin with. And I think so Mark I... might be mad he didn't catch it. Yeah. yeah. Like mad at himself and then kind of projecting a little bit. Mm-hmm. So they're each coping with it in their own way on the flip side of it. Right. But yeah. Then a woman comes in screaming with contractions at 22 weeks. Uh, that's not good. And uh, just, I'm, I'm going to say it right now. Again, a content warning if you have issues with the sick children or babies on the show this one's a really heavy one for that so maybe we'll see you next week if if that's going to be a problem we love you have a great day but um chuni calls chen over to help get her settled in the woman's name is regina Uh, and regina is played by actress uh, lara harris who appeared in stuff like the fisher king no man's land and shooter so hope she got paid well for shooter that movie's truly awful <laughs> i'm not familiar with it um macky mac ah okay yep um but yeah so again that's going to be kind of a heavy through line for this episode mm-hmm. so we do not take it personally if you just tune in next week um but then we see abby is working in up in ob again as a nurse in her purple scrubs and she is paged downstairs to the er to help regina so she was working. Keep in mind, she's up there working with a couple in OB, the woman's like pre-labor, and she gets paged down. And she's like, oh, you'll be fine. There's other people up here. You'll be okay. <laughs> and she bails on this couple. Uh, and she's also, too, operating under the assumption that she will probably probably be right back, too. Like, yeah. they're not expecting she's going to spend the basically the rest of the day down in the ER at this point. But Yeah. Uh, but we go back down to the ER. The patient that was brought in earlier, the 62-year-old woman, Mrs. Walton, uh, she's being brought in. Kovach is working on her. Uh, she's suffered a stroke. Um, and I think they s- mentioned that she has suffered a stroke in the past as well. Yeah. So this is a new a new one. Um, 
and they are going to loop psych in on the case because they feel like after this most recent stroke, she may not be competent to make her own choices. Uh, and Lauren? Whose films are those? Uh, and our two, there's two women in the scene here. Uh, Mrs. Walton, who we really don't ever hear from, like, because she is pretty altered throughout the episode. Um, and that kind of is the crux of the story. But um, she did have a pretty prolific resume to her. Uh, the actress, Nancy Linehan Charles, who appeared in stuff like Minority Report, Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, and uh, Charlie Wilson's War. She has 108 credits to her name. Uh, and then at this point, what we are uh, told is her caregiver, Judy. Uh, she is played by actress Rosemary Forsyth, who appears in stuff like Ghost of Mars, Disclosure, and Daylight. That is an excellent name. Rosemary Forsyth, right? That's very, yeah. uh, I mean, maybe just because it's the same name, but like makes me think of Rosemary Clooney, like that kind of. Yeah, same. Uh, and she had she also had a very like uh, old Hollywood picture on her IMDb too. Like, mm. so she was... She was a, an old Hollywood gal. Uh, both of them, though, I think, still with us. Both, uh, nice. m- both Mrs. Walton and Judy here. Uh, but uh, in any event, uh, we go over to Abby and Chen working on Regina, and uh, Regina is just begging with them to uh, do something to stop the labor. Uh, they try giving her drugs to stop the contractions. Uh, we find out that her water hasn't broken yet, but oh no. She feels some pressure, which is never a good sign in this type of situation. Bad day all around. All right, uh, let's go to our first audio clip here. Carter is reviewing the terms of his return. Random urine tests. Yes. And they get to pay for them too, I see. Is that a problem? No. In addition to the state caduceus meetings, we'll require 90 NA or AA meetings during the first 90 days. It's not a problem. I'm going anyway. Good. What the fuck? Good. And the three of us will meet once a week just to, you know, check in. Make sure you're handling the stress. Right. Came prepared. The naltrexone binds to your opiate for I know what it does. It protects you. It blocks the euphoric effects of the narcotics. It protects all of us. You need to uh, begin today if you want to begin work next week. Mm-hmm. You want me to take it in front of you? Yeah, we'll periodically monitor your regimen. How much? 50 milligrams a day. Sorry, that was, um, it's okay. It's gonna be difficult at first, so we'll work it out. All right, so we'll put you on the schedule for next week, Tuesday. Start up very light, no trauma. Whatever you say. Carrie, I gotta go. Yep. See you next week, Carter. You're welcome back. Thank you. Thank you both. Sure thing. Can they require him to take a medication? Uh, Jake. <laughs> yeah, Jake. Yeah, where's Jake? Yeah, Jake, I, d- I, d- I don't know. I, I think that is... That was that was the only thing that like stuck out to me really here when they were talking about his terms was I was just like... It's literally like they're... He has to take a medication as part of his... Yeah. 
thing, which just seems so strange to me. Like, I can never, and again, maybe just because I work in corporate and not in a hospital, but, like, the idea over here that they would make me take something yeah, I would to be an accountant. I would imagine that maybe the only type of um, scenario under which it would be allowed would be in a hospital type situation. Like mm-hmm. I can't imagine in a corporate situation having somebody who's a recovering addict that right. their their boss, you know, their boardroom corporate boss could just dictate, right. hey, you're going to take this medication as part of your conditions to return to work. That just seems a little bit strange. And And I did sort of think too that like, which Carter immediately pushes back on, but like, like I did think it was a little bit overkill for Carrie to like explain to him what it is the drug does. Like he's like mm-hmm. he's a doctor. Like yeah, he's also well, suffering it's... and he needs to take it, but like he also knows what the drug is and what it does. It's also one of those things where it's like they could say in the terms you need to take this and then he go discuss it with his private physician. Right. And like get the prescription and the dosage from them. It seems really weird to me that they were just there with the script that presumably one of them wrote at a dosage that they decided on yeah. without him ever, you know, talking to his own doctor, presumably. I've honestly never thought about this scene that way. You're welcome. It's what we're here for. <laughs> Everybody in the comments is going to be like, Lauren, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Shut up. But it's just the thing that. that stuck out to and me. And Jake's going to give us a thesis on why and, it's illegal or illegal. And I hope so, because I love when he does that. Yeah. But yeah, it brings up a good point. I had never thought of it either, so. Welcome back, Carter. Yeah, welcome back, Carter. That's in season two. We had that episode already. I know. <laughs> so, Regina is up to eight centimeters dilated. Uh, her husband has been called in. She has, I always mispronounce it, Rails? Rails. She has Rails. Thank you. It should be R-A-L-L-S, not R-A-L-E-S. She has Rawls. Um, fuck notes. Uh, the baby is crowning because this can't get any worse. Um, Mark and Carrie show up to help because Mark's an expert in this and should definitely be here, not OB. Um, Chen delivers the baby and then goes out in the hall to catch her breath because, of course she does, because she's pregnant and this is incredibly traumatic for her. And when she leaves the trauma room, I want to note that they... They must have had something on her hands because there is a trail of blood on the trauma room door where she touches it mm. as she leaves. And it was just like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's something, it wouldn't matter if they didn't. Nobody would think anything less of it, but I just happened to notice it and it's just, it's a good touch. Yeah. Yeah. The, the whole scene, I think, is uh, maybe uh, Chen's best since her return. Mm-hmm. Like, she really does, like, sell the hell out of this moment. So I, I, yes, I really I'm- love this for her. And I shouldn't gloss over that. She is incredibly upset by this. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll find out why a little later, but... I mean, we, we kind of know why. <laughs> we know why. I know. It's but, everybody but Chen. We know why. Yeah. Uh, and Ming-Na just fucking nails it. Yeah. So Chen is doing charts when... So yep, Chen is doing that. charts when Carrie finds her. Uh, Chen apologizes for running out of the trauma, but Carrie... And Carrie tells her she needs to go to apologize to the patient. Um... She's being considered for chief resident, apparently, and somewhat, I guess, unprofessional, probably. Yeah, to just probably. bail out of a trauma like that. Is... Yeah, I suppose. Uh, but she, but then she makes Carrie put her foot in her mouth by telling her she's pregnant and just as far along as Regina was, twenty-two weeks. Mm. So, which Carrie immediately switches into mama, mama Carrie mode. To her credit, yeah. To her credit, it's an it's an immediate switch, and she handles it perfectly well. 
from there. But uh, yeah, mm, you just feel for this whole episode. Uh, but we go back to, uh, I believe it's right outside the admit desk where Cleo and Benton are uh, flirting. Uh, and she tells him that Mr. Fletcher is back and that she needs Benton to uh, do a consult on this one. So circle back to that in just a little bit. Uh, Abby brings in uh, some gloves filled with heated saline to uh, help keep the baby warm. Uh, and Regina says that they want to get the baby baptized uh, in the time that they have. And uh, she's feeling like kind of guilty, you know, and like, how could this have happened? You know, because she, they were traveling, they were traveling, I think from Indianapolis, I think was where they said they were from. Mm -hmm. And uh, Abby just tells her that, you know, this would have happened whether you were traveling or not. And, you know, you didn't do anything wrong. And they had tried for two years to have a baby before uh, they were just about to give up. And then she got pregnant and she starts to go through into some of like the bargaining phase of the grieving mm -hmm. process. And he's like, maybe he's meant to be a miracle. Sometimes you have to help a miracle along. And I really like Abby's approach here too, where like Abby does not try to sugarcoat her or does not allow her to like entertain. Like she doesn't like, she doesn't like completely shut her down. Like she doesn't j say like, no, that's stupid. Put that away. But like she does sort of like, try to bring her back gently to reality of just like don't get your hopes up with this like sometimes you also just have to let go and i think that i think it was kind of expertly played by her there um just want to quick circle back to benton and cleo at the admit desk i completely forgot to take note of like if the admit desk was looking any better this episode compared oh yeah to i did too fuck it yeah. was last episode i mean there's definitely not like you know wires and shit hanging yeah. down so clearly it's we, heading in the right direction but we just made such a fuss out of it last episode and then this episode was so captivating that we all completely forgot to look and see how the admit desk was it's doing we don't frank here this episode uh, that's exactly us. it my dear sweet mvp frank that's true that is true most improved character. I'm sorry. No, I think you voted him for MVP. You were that's right. You were that bold. MVP and Luca and Luca was most improved because yep, yeah, that's right. Until <laughs> choices were mm -hmm. made. Uh, but speaking of most improved from season six characters, I believe he came in second in that voting. Uh, Kovac uh, and uh, Mrs. Walton. And uh, this is where we learn that Judy, the woman that came in with her, is her partner. And this is. Uh, delightfully 2000 tale here oh uh, my god i hate it yep thanks i it's, hate it it's it's just one of those things and we'll talk a little bit more about this when we get to it but um it's one of those things where when you're eight when all of this is going on you don't realize just how little rights mm -hmm. gay people actually had mm -hmm. yep and like you know like you know in passing like yeah you know we didn't have marriage or whatever but it took stuff like this for me to be rewatching now in the constant in the context of being very excited to get gay married at some point to go shit i like i was 8 right and we couldn't have done like in, in your a, conscious I was a child but, in, in your conscious yeah. lifetime it has in been in my like memory this. right I mean, there was a time where it was like this. I mean, and, and going back to the top of the show, like, you know, an hour of primetime network television programming was dedicated to one of the, at the time anyway, considered to be one of the most progressive, like gay friendly shows on TV, you know? So like yeah. their gay culture is like 
becoming more a part of like mainstream pop culture already mm-hmm. and and it's such a strange dichotomy that you can have characters like you know on a show like will and grace that are like held up as these like icons of of gay culture at the time and then also by the same token you're telling these very real stories of yeah gay couples not having any rights essentially and it's absolutely ugh. so i yeah just one of those eye-opening episodes for me yeah uh, but right outside the trauma room, Lizzie is uh, consulting with Mark on a uh, an X-ray uh, when uh, Mark stops and uh, asks her out uh, for an actual date, like an actual going out date, says he made reservations. Uh, so we will circle back to that in just a little bit. Fancy. Then we go right back to Kovach telling Glenda, um, Mrs. Walton's partner, her chances of recovery after a repeat stroke are, it's not looking great. She has a... Oops. Finish what you're saying, and then I just have a quick correction on my notes. No, what's up? Um, the way I wrote that, um, it's Glenda, who is Mrs. Walton. They're telling Glenda's partner, Judy, that the chances of recovery Oh, were. okay. So yeah, Judy is the partner. Judy is the partner, yeah, okay. Yeah, but I, we had just gotten Mrs. Walton's name, so that's why I had it like gotcha, that. Gotcha, 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 okay. My parentheses were not clear, so they're telling the partner. Yeah, Kovach is telling Judy that... Glenda's chances for recovery aren't aren't great because she has aspiration pneumonia. But and Carries, if she if uh, Judy has power of attorney and just never got around to it, get around to it, folks. Laura and I have gotten around to it. Get around to it, folks. I need to find my forms, but yes, we yeah. do have it. You know, I know exactly where mine is. Of course you do, because you're an adult. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you too. Um, direction has come from direction has to come though uh, to override like to say no we stop please. That direction has to come from a family member or spouse recognized by law. So Carrie is very sympathetic to it, but she's got to do what she's legally obligated to do, which involves which at this point would involve uh, intubation. Yeah, intubation intubating Glenda even though she has no hope for meaningful recovery. Yep. So remind me where we are going to be in the timeline by the end of this season. Is is season seven, is that Carrie's like coming out party? Yep. Once we mm-hmm. uh, once we get, uh, oh God, I can never, fuck. Is it Legaspi? Legaspi, yeah. Dr. Legaspi on psychiatry. Okay. Yes. So once she shows up, then the, then the lesbian stuff. Yeah. Woo! And so based on um, what Laura Innes told us about how that storyline was, you know, sort of pitched to her, that pitch meeting happens the summer before the season. So that means that they already know that the wheels are in motion, that eventually that Mm. Carrie's going to come out this season. And yet they play this one relatively cool. Like they play this whole storyline relatively close to the vest. Like if you were watching this show for the first time, I don't know that you would come away with it with the... Um, the feeling that this really has a deep effect on Carrie as a closeted, at this point, closeted gay woman. Uh, I'm going to say, I think the big reason why is because with Carrie's journey and stuff that she goes through, correct me if I'm wrong, because you guys have way better memory of this fucking show than I do, but Carrie had never really considered it an option. Like, we've seen Mm. her be with men, never have really, like, great relationships with men. Right. But, like, she... I think maybe she'd never yeah. met a, 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 a gay colleague that she could 
relate to and right. bond with she, that then and, or like and she does go anybody. through sort of a little period of denial as i recall too like yeah she kind yeah. of fights against it a little bit i was gonna say how do you do that what it's just how do you sorry I'm lizzie bending my fingers but i can't it's okay finish your anyway. statement i'm gonna be over here trying to fucking... <laughs> the joys of the show folks um no i was gonna say maybe she, like you it just hasn't like maybe she's never been in a situation where a woman was hitting on her right or she's never kissed a woman or anything like that or the light bulb hasn't gone off yeah the light bulb hasn't gone off like like my light bulb didn't go off until i heard the term transgender and i'm like oh fuck okay here we go yeah i've all i've always known i liked everybody yeah like and 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 i'm not necessarily saying that i wanted them to telegraph it or anything i just thought it was interesting given you know where we're gonna be in such a relatively short period of time that they wouldn't you know bother to indicate anything even subtly you know like it it really doesn't affect her much she's still kind of business as usual carry like by the book by the numbers you know like i don't i may not like i may not agree with the spirit of the law but this is what the rules say so i'm gonna have to follow yeah. it yeah carrie's super super sympathetic here yeah that's that's the most important thing to recognize throughout this entire story is that carrie's just like I really don't want to do this. Please, right. for the love of God, get someone on the phone. I guess, I guess my, to... my only comparison to it is like the way we've seen the any story or any patient remotely involving like an adopted child or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, an orphan child or something like it, it, it definitely clearly impacts her, you know, uh, even beyond just like letter of the law rules and stuff like it's just a it's interesting how those two stories kind of diverge you know in her overall character arc yes so we go back to regina and her husband and we learn that the chaplain is going to be a few hours because he's helping talk down a jumper from the state street bridge uh but abby has randy start cold calling priests to get someone over as soon as possible because they don't know how long this little baby's gonna have um, and then Maureen Conway from Financial Services comes down uh, because Mr. Fletcher can't be admitted. He has over $200,000 of unrecoupable costs because his Medicaid isn't covering it because it got sold out to another company. And Romano has left strict instructions on admitting patients like him, a.k.a. not to do it. Mm, 200 grand so that he's spent like what three days in the hospital like probably cumulatively yeah, day and a half <laughs> like, he got some aspirin like 200,000 those are rookie numbers you gotta pump those up this is the American healthcare system he should be at least into do, seven eight figures not, by now do not even get us started on that tonight oh, oh my god you don't want to poke that bear let's let's do it let's get weird uh maureen here is played by actress trisha simmons not simpson simmons who appeared in stuff like hacks desperate housewives and uh will and grace uh and uh, this is her only appearance so thank god we didn't hear from financial services more often than we do excuse you if you as a representative (laughs) of financial services but for a hospital though system yeah We'd have a we'd and, have a very different uh, talk if uh, you were financial services for a hospital. Yeah, ten months to see a specialist, folks. We have the greatest healthcare system in the world. Couldn't ten months could not I can see a specialist. Possibly be improved upon. <sighs> anyway, uh, Abby yells at the so she's uh, walking past the trauma room, looks in through the door, and sees the resident from neonatology. 
uh, is basically doing rounds on this Ugh. baby. Like he's brought this like group of med students down to like gawk at this, you know, kid who's got maybe minutes, if maybe hours, if not minutes to live. Um, and uh, the dad is like standing outside watching it. Of course, he doesn't know what's going on here. So he's kind of under the misguided thought of like, maybe this means there's some hope for my son. And uh, so Abby insists that he, uh, that the, the baby's going to stay down in the ER where they can have some privacy and not up in OB with the other nursing mothers so that the parents aren't mm. further traumatized. And she tries to kick the neonatologist and the students out, says that the trauma room is off limits so that the family can process because uh, right at the end, Malucci comes in to say that there's an MVA coming in and they need the room. And she basically is like, yeah, fuck off, go find somewhere else. Like this room is off limits, which, you know, I both like as a like character move for Abby, but I also can sort of see why this episode might be a microcosm of why Abby as a character rubs certain people the wrong way. <laughs> like that she, she is somewhat like overstepping her boundaries in her capacity as an OB nurse who has been paged down to the ER to deal with this one mm-hmm. patient. And she's now, she's now disrupting it's... the entire ecosystem of the ER to and help this one patient. And it's so easy for us to forget it because in the moment we're like, oh, that's so sweet. How great for her to advocate. But it's like, right. She she doesn't even go here. (laughs) And I mean, like, and I say this as, as a huge Abby fan and I I love Abby. I love more tyranny. I love the whole thing. And, And it also, it's a term that I do sort of loathe, but like this episode is a tiny little bit of a, like Abby is a Mary Sue thing of like, where like she does everything kind of perfectly despite the fact that you mm-hmm. don't think that it's really in her scope of practice at this point. Like it's mm-hmm. just sort of, it, it is a little bit of like the Abby's good at everything trope kind of happening for, I, I guess it is it a trope if it happens for the first time, because this is the first time we're really getting to see it. Um, but it is sort of something that would become a little bit of a trope later on. We're, we're a retrospective. We can call it a trope. I guess so. But I mean, again, and the I and I, I say that again as somebody who really likes Abby and liked this episode and I liked certain things about her performance in this, you know, but like um, it was just sort of like one of those things where if you stepped back and looked at the big picture a little bit, you'd be like, man, she's really kind of fucking up the whole ER just to have one little corner for this family yeah. to grieve. Like. What about the people in this fucking car accident? Right, because they, they never really address what happens to that or like how this how this little crusade that Abby's on has disrupted and and why no one ever calls her on it. Like why Abby, I mean, uh, why uh, Carrie or Mark never comes in and is like, uh, hey, OB nurse who doesn't work down here anymore, uh, why are you occupying our entire trauma room? just to give this one family some peace and quiet. I mean, Admiral. Yeah. Like move up, move them to a curtain, move them to an exam. Right, my, actually my thought as I was watching this, granted, we're not quite sure exactly what the time difference is, but my thought as I was watching this was like, isn't the PZR like right around the corner still? Like, could, isn't there a room with like dinosaurs painted on the wall and stuff? Like, couldn't you just like go scooch everything down the hall, like 10 feet and, and again, going back to that, why is Cleo working on Mr. Fletcher? She's supposed to be the Peds fellow. It, I don't know. I couldn't, you know. 
So who played the neonatologist? So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for getting me back. Uh, our neonatologist here is played by, I think, if for my money, I think he was the most recognizable, oh, hey, it's that guy of this episode, because I recognized him, certainly. Uh, Jim yeah. Jim Jansen. He's another one that is making his only appearance this episode, but he appeared in stuff like Water for Elephants, uh, what should say Gilmore Girls, despite the fact that I just wrote the word Gilmore in the... <laughs> In the notes. We knew what you meant. Uh, and I didn't. I was very confused. And Death Becomes Her. Um, and he has, if you look at his IMDb, so he is also our high water uh, actor for the episode. He has 134 credits to his name. Uh, but if you look at his IMDb, he is really famous for playing doctors, judges, and reverends. Like, I would say probably like those three roles comprise like 60 to 70% of his uh, credits on IMDb. Like he's always playing okay. Doctor So and So or J- the Honorable So and So or Reverend Blah Blah Blah. I have to say, speaking of oh hey, it's that guys and judges because we are in the period of the show where we are watching The Good Wife now. Let's see how long that lasts. <laughs> I was really excited because one of the judges in one of the early episodes is played by um, a gentleman who was in the original Into the Woods Broadway cast, and I am obsessed with that movie slash musical. So I was like, oh hey. It's that it's that guy, and I was very excited because I had a legitimate oh hey it's that guy moment. Exactly in that voice too. I really did. Oh, hey, it's that guy. I did. I do voices while we're in our house, and That's Lizzie true. puts up with it for ten years. Anyway, let's go into our next audio clip here. Uh, Benton approaches Romano about the whole Fletcher issue. Titrate defense told him into a map of 120 and get him up. Don't worry, Mr. Robertson, you are in good hands. Dr. Romano. Hello, Peter. I heard you were hoarding a field down here and attending for a week, and already you're stealing a fascinomus, huh? Uh, you can have him. <laughs> I wasn't asking your permission. We have a problem with a dialysis patient who needs a new fistula. Why do you say we? Because financial services won't let me admit him. Don't let those geeks push you around, Peter. Show a little backbone before you come crying to me. Otherwise, they'll never respect you. They're, they're blocking him on your orders. Oh. Well, that's different. Let's take a look. You cleared him for surgery. I can have him out in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 28 admissions for renal failure? He frequently misses dialysis. Yeah, apparently. Let's treat him. I am done carrying these parasites. That's an MTALA violation. No, he's had a uh, screening exam and he's not emergent. Well, how do you know? You haven't even looked at him. Okay, Peter, let's take a look. Where is he? Curtain two. Too late, Lizzie. I already grabbed the field. What? Nothing. Listen, have you seen Mark? He has a spinal abscess patient for me who's gone missing. He says something about radiology. Hi, Mr. Fletcher. I'm Dr. Romano. How are you feeling today? Like crap. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Can I take a look at your fistula? You're the seventh person to take a look. What am I, a freak show? Hmm. Why'd you miss your dialysis appointment? I was busy. Uh-huh. Doing what? None of your business. Hmm. More important things to do, I imagine, huh? I don't like you. I didn't like you the time you sliced my foot open, and I don't like you now. Oh, I'm hurt, Mr. Fletcher. Uh-huh. What about my pain pill? I need my damn pain pill. The nurse pill. is gonna bring it, Mr. Fletcher. She's too slow. I need a new nurse. Put him on a bus to Milwaukee. He's fluid overloaded. No, no, he's got a few crackles. This guy knows exactly what's going to happen if he misses his dialysis and he still blows it off. He is not going to stop abusing the system until we draw the line. What's this? This is for his bus ticket. (laughs) You serious? Absolutely. New state, new Medicaid program, and a whole new set of doctors to piss off. He lives in Chicago. Cry me a river. (sighs) What a rap bastard Romano truly is. Really coming into his own. I, lo- I do like the term fascinomas, though. It's a, <laughs> I think that's a fun little term for, so like, surgeon nerd term. Um, 
but I also like how he's telling Peter basically like don't be a pussy and like push back against push push <laughs> yeah. back yeah. against those bureaucrat fucks. And then he goes, they're doing it because you told them to. And he goes, oh well, that's different. <laughs> it's just so good. Like I just like I really like when Romano also gets to be legitimately funny it, while while mm-hmm. simultaneously being a dick. Like it's nice to let him have a couple of zingers in there once in a while. Daniel, can we interview him? I'm fucking trying, man. Okay, like, I know. it's not easy. People tweet Paul McCrane and tell him to come on the podcast because uh, my emails thus far have gone unanswered. Just he's a dick. Yeah, don't don't you don't. We're not gonna ship someone off to Milwaukee. Ab- absolute perfect asshole. And Mr. Fletcher's voice, like, can we talk about that too? Ugh. Like, I just, I kind of love it though. It kind of sounds like he swallowed broken glass. Like, it's just like, or. It's the human equivalent of those little crinkle balls you can get for your pets. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. So then Kovach and Mrs. Walton's partner, Judy, right? Yep. I can't, I am name blind. Um, they are trying to get a hold of the family, and we find out that they have been together for 27 years. <sighs> Holy shit. And they do be doing lesbian things. <laughs> Like and, loving each other and living together for yeah. and having long, fulfilling lives together. Yeah. That's what lesbians do. And uh, Carrie says, I'm trying to find a legal way to respect your wishes. And Luca is trying so hard to get the partner to have a say in this. And he refuses to tube her if the partner is not on board. Yeah. And he hands the case over to Carrie because he won't comply with, you know, the legal side of things. And boy, wouldn't that have been easy <laughs> to do two fucking episodes ago, Luca? Oh, have a moral objection? Give it to another doctor, you fucking. No, but hey, shout out to being a good, a good Christian at least now, and then not two right? episodes I know. ago, but My now but, he is. But he thought he was being a good Christian two episodes ago. That's the thing. And and isn't it Catholic he, specifically? Yeah. So, yeah. My, my man. <laughs> I, if I recall correctly. My man's a Catholic with dualities. Okay, like he a uh, mm-hmm. little bit nose blind on the abortion issue, but on the gay rights thing, he's at least he's at least okay. Right in front there, uh, we'll go back to Abby. She gets gets a picture of Regina with the little baby. Uh, baby's has has a name, Julian. Abby's unsure of how long they have, and the wife or the husband wants to take him. Husband, out? yeah, the husband says, uh, "Let's take him outside. We'll take him to a lake or a park. He doesn't want him to die in a hospital." Still no priest, and Coburn yell. Uh, Coburn yells at Abby for being uh, down here instead of up in OB. Because that that couple that she was with were asking for her relentlessly as the mom gave birth. Um, and Coburn says, your job is upstairs. But Mark thankfully steps in and vouches for Abby, says he asked her to stay. Several things about this. One, the uh, closet full of babies is working over overtime oh, yes. this week. Oh, yeah. uh, Closet's wide open here, whew, folks. Because that, that little preemie doll is... Uh, I mean, it, it gets the it gets the point across. I'll say that like it really puts you puts you right there. Um, I also kind of love the subtle, uh, just kind of disgust with which Coburn sort of looks in Mark's direction when he shows up. Like, I like how they're. She's not really a fan I, of him anymore. I really it hasn't been for the last seven. Six well, that's years. the thing. I love that they've they've never let that go as like a slight character trait of hers of just like she's constantly sort of like. Ugh, 
this asshole. Every time Mark comes up for the last six <laughs> years, anytime they've had to share a room since Love's Labor Lost, she's just like, oh, this fucking asshole. You would not believe. Like, just... I don't know. I just I love that so much. And then, of course, too, uh, this is kind of the establishment of uh, Coburn and Abby as a pairing, which really won't come into play for several years. I think like it seems to me like that's way down the line when it's revealed that Coburn is Abby's sponsor. Um, I don't think that's something that we learn anytime soon. No, 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 no. That's like once. Yeah, once Abby has her problem in like season like thirteen, yeah, I think. it's further on down the line. But still, it's uh, cool to see those uh, pieces getting laid down here. But um, in any event, we go from there. Uh, Benton is bringing Mister Fletcher upstairs and tries to get an OR assignment from Shirley, and she stops him uh, because uh, Romano has already cut him off at the pass here, warned her that this might happen, and even threatened her with termination if she lets Benton through. And we get a excellent little take from Paul McCrane here as he, as uh, Benton looks through the window at him into the OR and he does leans back and does this little fing- bloody finger wag as he's got his hand mm. covered in junk. It's just it's an excellent uh, excellent little scene. Uh, we hear that the priest is finally on his way over for little baby Julian and uh, Luca. Uh, I believe he's talking to Abby at this point. Uh, says that uh, because Abby's sort of starting to do her own bargaining a little bit too. And is like, we could intubate him or something like that. And he's like, you can't, you know, like this, this isn't going to happen. Like, don't let yourself go there. And you know, it's like, it's his time on earth and all you can do is make it a good time. And then it's right about, we don't want him to. Yeah. He's going to die anyway. Let's not have him be hooked up to machines. Exactly. Like I think, I think the the show does a really good job of towing the line this episode with this patient and with this story. Like, I feel like a lesser show, a different show would have gotten really heavy handed with the miracles and it would have Mm -hmm. gotten a little too overly schmaltzy. But at the same time, they don't really like bemoan the tragedy either. Like they, they do a really good job of like not letting it drift into Hallmark territory while also at the same time, not beating you over the head with the tragedy of it. So it just, it toes a very fine line. Um, but dad, uh, comes out of the the trauma room to interrupt them and uh, says that he thinks that uh, Julian has stopped breathing. So circle back uh, to that a little bit later over to the other trauma room where they've put Glenda on a breathing machine without intubating her. And Judy is really starting to uh, get upset here because Glenda made her promise that she would never let her die like that. And this sucks. Wasn't it, wasn't it because her father had passed? I believe so. Yeah. And, like had had died with all the wires and tubes in it. Yeah, him. so it's not great. Get your fucking paperwork in order, people. Let people know what you want, one way or the other. And Regina and her husband are asking if Luca can do anything for the baby with his breathing stopped. And Luca's about to call time of death when the baby just starts breathing again. <laughs> Little Julian's persistent. Which I just got finished saying, like, they don't, like, bemoan the... the the miracle stuff. And this was the point in the episode, not remembering how it ended. This was the point in the episode where I was terrified. Like this is the point of the episode where I was like, Oh no, they're going to go this route. They only, they only do it once and it's fine. Right. And then we go back over to the other sadness, uh, trauma room, uh, carries on the phone with Glenda's brother, explaining the situation, arguing for Judy's side of the case. Um, 
you know, keeps saying that meaningful recovery is unlikely, but it, it brother wants him, wants her tubed. Yeah. Doesn't want her Which to die. I think Luca mentions at one point earlier in the episode that, that she's seen and or spoken to her brother twice in the last 10 years. Yep. Which yep. like, this is, <laughs> this is again, sort of like going back to like, this is like the expositional relative who like, for some reason has a fucking bug up his ass about uh, she must be intubated and she must be kept alive at all costs. Because it's like, you would think somebody with that tenuous of a familial connection would just be like, uh, yeah, man, I guess whatever she said is fine with me. I don't really, you know, I've seen her twice in the last 10 years. Like what, you know, you would think that somebody with that sort of like tenuous of a connection wouldn't really care one way or the other, especially a brother. Like br- brothers, brothers my, are notoriously flippant about shit. Like they're just like, yeah, man, I don't know. My, my interpretation is because at one point he asks like, oh, is Judy there or like something like that? Because you, you hear Carrie say, yes, she's here. Would you like to speak with her? So my, my interpretation of is he's almost like punishing her maybe a bit of a homophobe and says yeah punish- spiteful yeah i was trying to think there was a certain phrase i was trying to think of and i couldn't but um what is it cut off your nose despite your yeah. face or whatever Something it like is that, yeah but um yeah where he's just like saying no if that's what if that's what they want then no put her on machines essentially yeah. like that was that was my absolute least faith in humanity take was I, that i mean he was doing it it it's as, as good as twat. as good an explanation as any Oh, so from there, Romano asks Malucci if the Medicare compliance officer is down in the ER, and it turns out that she's examining a possible EMTALA violation. Did we ever look up what that acronym is for? I don't know. Okay. Basically, don't kick out people if they can't pay. Yeah. but um, Which I imagine is what I assume it's about all about. I'm looking it up real quick because it's going to bother me. Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act. There you go. Okay. That makes sense then. Um, But she, the Medicare compliance officer came down because they got a call that um, the ER was trying to bounce Mr. Fletcher. And she says to Romano, please tell me you don't have policy to redirect all non-paying Medicaid HMO patients. And he's like, no, of course not. We're taking Mr. Fletcher upstairs right now. Everything's fine. He's great. Let's go. Come on. And um, she says she's going to audit all of their transfers from the last month. And I do sort of like, it's really the one bit of significant wor- uh, significance that Malucci gets in this episode. But I, I did sort of like the little exchange between him and Romano of mm-hmm. like, is there a lady down here from, you know, uh, Medicare compliance? And he's like, short. Battle axe, no sense of humor. <laughs> He's like, that'll be the one. Like, I just, something about that I, I enjoyed. But uh, our uh, Medicare compliance lady, Sandy, he, uh, here is played by actress Diana Castle, who appeared in the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, uh, and the TV series Picket Fences and The X Files. And uh, let's take uh, our Green Day hype to the next level here. Uh, Corday has complained to Mark about the spinal abscess that she missed out on. I'd have had better exposure and direct visualization without beaming a, a gigavolt of radiation into the poor man's spine. A gigavolt? You know what I mean. And I could have completely evacuated all the infected tissue. These guys are going in half blind. Fine, whatever. Next spinal abscess is all yours, I promise. Where is this place anyway? You'll see. These are houses, Mark. Uh-huh. Oh. 
Mark. Oh, it's beautiful. See, I have some taste. Oh, can you afford it? I've been living cheap. Besides, I'm gonna have a roommate. <laughs> That's awfully presumptuous of you. Well, I could take out an ad. You will not. <laughs> I love it. Just check out the refrigerator. It's nice and cold. Oh, look at this deck. I knew you'd love that. Oh, when can we move in? When can you pack? Oh. It has an ice maker. Oh, these floors are gorgeous. So check it out. What? The ice maker. It's lovely. Yeah, you have to open it. It has a special ice feature. What, does the ice come in different shaped cubes or something? <laughs> Mark. I'm a little nervous, so, uh, uh let, let me say it. Elizabeth, I love you. I was hoping you'd give me the joy and honor of being your husband. He said a yes. Yes. I wish you all could have seen Lizzie's gay ass face over here during that audio clip. Just my head just rocking back and forth. Happy oh. dance. Oh yeah. So Lizzie, there's time for Green Day. Fuck yes. Tell us your feelings about this proposal, Lizzie. It's your there's time, time to shine. time for Green Day. Fuck yes. That's how, about the summation. How, how do you like the uh, the ice maker proposal? It could have been it could have been a little bit smoother, but you know, I get what he was going yeah. for. A very Mark move. Like you could you could see the wheels yeah. turning in his head. Like you could see how he got to that point. Uh, as as a broke ass millennial, the idea of signing on a house without my partner's consent yeah. is horrifying. So, yeah, that I think is... I mean, it's not like they're married yet. But he's doing it, planning that she's going to be a shared income. Yeah. That, like, that she's doing it under the assumption that he's going to live there with her and that okay, this proposal okay, is going okay. to go that, that is That is one of the hotter debates to come out of this episode is is how the how do you feel about the idea of a part the the concept of a partner buying a home that you will the two of you will ostensibly share without your input like now i'll say this if i had like fuck you money i don't care lizzie go buy me a house any day you want okay but as like act as like broke millennials doing something like that is horrifying yeah like yeah i can't imagine doing that to jen and i can't imagine the other direction like i just it just wouldn't even enter into my thought process. But again, I've also never been faced with the uh, ability to do that either. Like, you know, like <laughs> I've never, it's, a, it's a, a good problem to have, I suppose, having the kind of money and access to affordable housing. Thanks again, America, uh, that um, would even put me in that position. But like, I don't know. I get, I certainly get people's point, particularly to when it's the guy doing it for the woman, like I think is another thing that sticks in certain people's craw just like it's there's like a feminism angle to it too where it's like dudes just making decisions on behalf of their female 
partners. Like, it's a bit of a trope. I, I, I wouldn't have even put it that way, but yeah, you're right. That definitely is something that doesn't track as well today. And Lizzie, I'm sorry, we're shitting all over this beautiful, beautiful. She should be used to it by now. Does. We always find a way to y'all, shit on Green Day. Y'all just don't know good quality, good quality romance. Romance. Well, no, it's fine. It. it's fine. I it's mean, fine. It's fine. It's a good moment. It, I mean, it's a great moment actually. Like, and like yeah. I said, the other. I was gonna say that house is fucking beautiful from what we see of it. Yeah, no, it's very, it's a lovely house. And as I said in our little group chat, you know, off mic the other day, like. I think as the the deeper into this we go, I think what I'm realizing is that I punish this ship for what I know it does to Elizabeth later. Like I I mm. punish the the during for the aftermath. Like the, the just got to roll with it, roll within the beauty and the romance and just let it it's... wash over you and then we can talk about Elizabeth in season 9. Yeah. Like I still, 11, I see. still think, just generally through. speaking, I still think Elizabeth Corday, the character, could do a hell of a lot better. Like I just feel like, you know, and particularly if we're being shallow about it, like if we're like, I just think that like she's way too hot for him. Like is my is my take home message there? We're 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 not couple shaming on no, here as no, far no. as looks we're, go. I'm yeah. I'm just remembering we had a complaint about how much we shit on Mark's appearance, so... And I'm not shitting on his appearance. I'm just saying that, like, there, abject levels of hotness. Like, there is a great disparity between the two halves of this relationship. Like, if you just... Not not even getting he, into specifics, but just abject general levels of I, hotness. I can't believe I'm going here, but he might just be given some really good dick. I was gonna say, what if his dick's just huge? I didn't even say huge. I just said good dick. He might just be... We've seen him. We've we've seen him in his boxers before. It was granted. It's been a few years. Like I said, good, (laughs) not size. I didn't. I didn't say anything about size. I just said we'd seen him in his boxers. Not the size. You took it there. Ocean of the ocean. All right. Okay. I wish I hadn't said anything. But anyway, so congratulations to them. Yay! They're engaged. Everything's wonderful. What happens next, Andy? We go back to the complete (laughs) pivot. Oh boy. We we Jesus. go back to the ER where Carrie is uh, intubating Glenda as our uh, little our contractually obligated bit of licensed music is playing uh, "Sand and Water," uh, and it cuts into a, a little montage intercut with Julian being baptized out on the roof. And maybe you know, as as everybody knows by now, you know we uh, record things in advance, so maybe I'm just salty about uh, getting our shit flagged for the first time last week when I tried to post the uh, <laughs> Carol and Doug yeah. reunion. But, like, I'm already just a little annoyed by the licensed music era starting in earnest. Like, I'm I'm just sort of, like, eh about the whole thing. Like, I'm just, like, it's fine. It's a fine song. And maybe I'm just, like, a Martin Davich stan, but, like, I feel like he could have achieved a similar uh, effect just as well, if not better, with some of his original scores. Like, I just don't feel like it was a particularly necessary song. Like, it was fine, but I don't... And, and not to say that there... Like, the, the the obvious one to point to is always, like, so, uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow or whatever the fuck it's called. The the Mark song, you know, the, the, the song yeah. that plays over Mark's death scene. That is... Uh, that is a, a piece of music that is indelibly linked to its moment and... I don't think could be separated from its moment. I don't think as much as I love Martin, I don't think Martin could have achieved the same level of emotion in that scene without that particular piece of music. This one though, I'm like, 
eh, my boy Marty could do better. Like this is, it, he could do at least as good, yeah. if not better. Like this, this music did really nothing for me other than just annoy me as I'm watching it and going like, I can't use I, any of this. I can't use I, any of these I, fucking clips. I think it's a beautiful. Song. I think it's yeah. I like fine, the song. TM. I think it. I think it goes well personally. Daniel, Daniel, and Sand and Water is me with the one Lucy and Carter road trip sh- uh, episode <laughs> that like everybody else is like, oh my god, it's perfect. Why don't you love it? And I'm just like, it's fine. It's fine. Like, and I don't know. Like I said, maybe I'm just salty because of like back end stuff and like being annoyed by that because no. I had to make a new clip at seven in the morning last Thursday. But like, it's just. You know, it just he could do so much better, and I know it's not going to get any better from here. Like we only get more licensed music as the years go we on. We just, we just have to pick different spots in the show. Then we have to go. Okay, this is licensed. What other shit can we use? And now you know. I'm just saying, like it's some of the best moments are now like out of bounds because we just had to have a fucking you know licensed music like. Not that it was a particularly memorable scene or anything, but having an entire section of an episode cut off by Bush was uh, not my idea of a good time, fam. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's. Uh, we're going to listen to the last... I'm sorry for the length of this clip. It's over four minutes long, but just over four minutes long. But we're going to listen to the, the last scene of this episode. Uh, Abby's headed to Doc Magoo's where she finds Carter. Hi. Could I get a coffee with cream, no sugar to go, please? Sure. Hey. Hey. You back already? Well, not for another week. What are you, just hanging out? Diversion meeting at nine. You look much better. Thank you. Yeah, I like your hair. Thank you. Some nice scrubs. You picking up some extra shifts? No. I was suspended. Oh? Didn't kill anybody, did you? No. I wanted to. My my ex-husband was supposed to pay my tuition. He didn't pay it, so I'm... Ouch. I'm on the bench for a while. But it certainly didn't seem like that today. Oh, thank you. Hey, I got that. Would you put that on my bill, please? It's okay. Hey, it's a cup of coffee. Sit down. It's the least I can do after acting like a complete jerk. When? Three months ago. You know you might have saved my life. If you hadn't stopped me when you did, I could be dead now. I'm working on my steps here. You're up to nine already. Um. More or less. I forgive you. Do you mind? Sorry. I really have to quit. And thank you. Keep it. Long day? Yeah. 22 week old preemie survived almost nine hours. I just finished the death kit. Wow. Yeah. I don't know why I do this. Sometimes I think I should just go be an accountant or something. That's an option. Yeah, if I could balance a checkbook. What about you? A lot of waiting, a lot of meetings. Yeah, you get kind of meetinged out.
Aren't you going to ask? What? What I was doing there this morning. You only go for one reason. I figured I'd keep going and eventually you'd stand up and share. It's not that interesting. I'm a drunk. How long have you been sober? Almost five years. So you could sponsor somebody? Yeah, I guess. Have you? No. Because I'm uh, supposed to find a sponsor. <laughs> Don't look at me. Huh? No, I'm barely holding my own life together right now. Trust me. Because it would be great to have somebody at the hospital. And since you did sort of start me on my road to recovery. And men and women aren't supposed to sponsor each other. It's... Don't worry about it. <laughs> Thanks. Come on. You're not going to make me ask a total stranger, are you? I mean, the only person I met at the meeting was the coffee guy. Okay. Okay. I will work the steps with you until you find a permanent sponsor. Fair enough. I'll start by setting a good example. Besides, I don't think coffee and cigarettes are going to do it for me tonight. No? No. I'm getting a hot fudge sundae. Mm. Do you like one? Mm -mm. Mm, I got enough vices. No, I think part of the rule should be that you have to splurge with me. <laughs> Is that how it works? Nope. Don't like that. Uh... I want to start out, I hate when she's voicing her very legitimate concerns as someone who's been in recovery for five years. He goes, no, don't worry about right. it. Right, yeah, just everything about that. And then, and then, and then manipulates her by guilting her and being like, oh, you don't want me to have to ask a stranger, do yes, you? Do. And it's like, well, if you, as you go to more meetings, they won't all be strangers. And you really should be asking someone who's not a direct colleague and the one who got you into rehab to begin mm -hmm. with and also a member of the opposite sex, like... There's, there's a lot going there's on There's a there. lot there's to There's so much baggage there, and just, like, just, no. The whole time, like, literally, as we were listening to that clip, Lauren and I are shaking our head at each other, like, no, 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 no. Like, just everything about this is no. And, again, like, I cannot help it. I can't help but, like, fast forward in my brain and be like, this leads to a tremendously dysfunctional relationship. Like... No, this is a horrible idea for all parties involved. His sponsor should be Pablo the homeless guy. Like, it should be <laughs> anyone but Abby. Like, they're like... Maybe he got deported again. It though. should be anyone but you, her. You know who would be a great... In my head, Cannon, bear with me, Wild Willie. There's a number of different options. I mean, so... And I guess ha having yeah. very little experience with addiction, either personally or, or, or really in my... In my family either like i don't really know how it works like does it have to be somebody who has also gone through recovery can be the sponsor or can it just be any old somebody yes my understanding um and if listeners please correct us if we're wrong but my understanding is it has to be someone who's done the steps and is for because that's why she said oh he said oh you're five years you can be someone's sponsor mm, yeah, yeah so I which think makes it sense has to be, like but like, I guess my like, if if you were gonna go that that route of what you're talking about, Lauren, and we're just gonna like bring somebody back out of the ether to be his sponsor, 
I think my pick honestly might have been Delamico. Like I think Delamico could have been an interesting choice as a completely platonic. We're not going to go back down the romance road, or we're not going to like fuck with that anymore. But like she had the she I, had the romantic entanglement with somebody who was an addict, yeah. and could potentially give I, insight into that. Like if if you had to find somebody to play that role, I. No, I don't want Carter paired off with any more fucking well, women. Yeah. Let a dude help him for that once. That too. Like, that too. Leave Carter. Leave women alone for she, a while. She definitely raised just, raised very legitimate concerns there. Um, uh, just yeah, this whole thing. I was just like, and I don't like again how like it the the ending uh message or like the take home message of the whole thing is supposed to be like isn't that sweet and isn't this cute like they start like doing like flirty banter about hot fudge sundays and shit as the music swells and like we we do the soft pull out like and oh everything's gonna be okay because carter has another right one he's just gonna make his yeah life like better. i just eh, it's this Lizzie's Lizzie's looking so done with both of us right now. Can you tell the fact that I don't think it's very it's inherently offensive? But like no. I agree with you on the points of the small manipul semi manipulation thing. But like it gets us where we need we need to go though because I love I love their friendship and I'm one of but the yeah, few and, and who's I, actually okay with them being together. I think I think like, you I can love them as a I pairing. think you can still have the friendship forged over the bond of mutual shared experience with addiction without having to jeopardize her situation and without pairing them up romantically. Like, I think you could have achieved the same goals without a lot of the, like, messiness in between. And I just, eh, eh, like... But, but, Daniel, without this, we wouldn't get Carter and Kovach dueling in the middle of a classroom. That is very <laughs> true. Yeah, and I mean, and that is fun, but, but like, I just... I don't know. It just. I also, I also needed to bring it up because I wanted Lizzie to have a chance because I can see her dying inside over there and us just shitting on this whole thing. Y'all just have a lot of feelings, and I'm just over here. I'm like, okay, cool. It's the beginning. Abby, uh, just the simple statement of the fact that Abby says, "I'm a drunk." Right. And and again, that's one of one of the. I love that. I love Mm -hmm. that that bit of character development for her. I mean, like obviously, addiction is an awful thing. I don't want her to be an that bit of backstory. It is an excellent little bit of like, because I mean, again, as somebody who loves Abby on just on surface level, like it is sort of for, if you're watching the show for the first time, like putting yourself in October of 2000 and you're watching the show for the first time, we really, at the, before this episode, we don't really know that much about Abby. Like the Abby, the character is mm-hmm. relatively one dimensional until this point. Like, we know that she's got an ex-husband who's kind of an asshole, and we know that she's, uh, you know, had some experience in OB, and, like, we, we know, like, sort of, like, little tidbits here and there, but the character itself is relatively one-dimensional, and this kind of just turns everything on its head and adds this whole new dimension to the yeah. character that I think is for the better. And I think... She's now the full 3D Abby Lockhart. Right, and I think these... I think that this pairing uh, on a platonic level does add something to her story and does add some depth and i think it can work and i just like and i'm not even necessarily saying that like i wouldn't have had them go this route as a story because sometimes doing the stupid thing makes for a great story so like this could be a good thing but it's just like with the elizabeth and mark thing it's hard for me to separate the beginning and the during from the after and i'm 
I'm challenging us to do it only because it's working really well for us in Malucci so far. So let's let's take the Malucci approach yeah. and take each episode as it comes with this and try not because I'm right there with you, Daniel, but let's try to be a little more present with the shit that's on right now. Fair enough. But I still don't like how he says, no, it's fine. Yeah, it's very very hand wavy, which is emblematic of Carter in general. But uh, overall, though, a very another very excellent, uh, sol- solid to very good uh, episode to kick the season off. Like, very few, if any, real major complaints. Yeah, Another nine for me, honestly. The bangers keep rolling. Are we it's- watching the same show? I'm over here like, I'm going to give it a 7.5 or an 8 because I thought it was passable. You know what? My opinions do not need to inform or <laughs> put down your opinions. And That's just, true. I... I- this is we're in you're in the, your happy place we are in that my happy place with this show where the, my love affair truly fully formed and i was really starting to really fully form memories about this show yeah you're, so we and, are we are we have arrived and you're ready to be heard again exactly my my whole thing with where i'm at because i again as as usual i'm kind of in the middle like i'm sort of at the eight and a half range eight eight and a half and like i look back at everything and like Chen, I think, did some of her best work in this episode Mm -hmm. um, since she came back, Mm -hmm. even though it's a little limited. Like, once she kind of has her little panic attack in the trauma room, they kind of sideline her for the rest of the episode. But the brief amount of time she does get to shine, I feel like she really does do very well. And I really liked Romano in this episode, too. Like, he's a dick, but he's a funny dick. And, like, he has really excellent moments. uh -uh. Yeah, like, I'm a big fan of Romano this episode. And, um, again, I like the depth that we're adding to Abby's character. I think all that stuff is really good. And while our two, like, main stories, like, our two trauma stories, um, both are pretty well told and, like, pretty well done. I don't really have major issues with with either one. Um, But neither one – I can see where Lauren's coming from that neither one of the two main threads really have the sizzle to them. Like, neither of the two – like, they're both kind of – um, even though they're dealing with separate issues, they're a little samey. Like they're a little samey in the sense that they're both kind of muted and both sort of like, mm, isn't this sad? Like it's kind of just a, a opportunity for you to just sit there and go like, hmm, that sucks. But you don't really get that. Like usually it's balanced better where you have like one story that's like super heart poundy and then you have another story that's a little bit more kind of observationally sad. And these were just a little bit too much of the same flavor for me to really like elevate it to that A tier status, but still a really good episode. Like totally fair. I will admit my might be a tiny bit biased with this episode just because episode one is a comfort episode that I watch all the time, and so is episode three. Fair enough. So you just sandwich them. I just kind of just flow right into this, so I just kind of maybe associate it with sure. The yeah. goodness of the other ones, but it's also, I think, I also just think it's a really good episode yeah. in its own right. So, totally fair. Uh, Lauren, what the hell? Okay. You people. So, on the listener responses, you people. We had maybe the combination of like just quantity the most we've ever had, but also, again, going back to some of those like tentpole episodes, the length of response. Like, yeah, holy Jesus fuck. Christ, and, and like, so I, 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 some of your responses, I'm just going to tell y'all up front, I had to just take a pass on this week because I was just like, I'm going to kill Lauren. And like, I'm, go- and, like, <laughs> and, and this was with me helping. I was like, I don't think we're going to yeah. get through all of this without killing ourselves. And so, 
you know, it's just, I, I love it. I love that we're getting this kind of enthusiasm and we're clearly, we're clearly entering into a stretch of the show that people are very passionate about and people have big thoughts on. And I encourage that. And what I will say to that going forward, uh, to both help us help each other is that in order for us to do these in a expedited way, fashion so that we're not here all night and so that we can get to your feelings i would stress that when you're create when you're crafting your responses try to stick to more so about what the episode made you feel and what you remember about watching it maybe for the first time or maybe how it made you feel on a rewatch versus just recapping what happened in the episode because sometimes i feel like and and I, i get it when i'm doing the notes for stuff like it's helpful to write that stuff out but like I tend to, this is like peek behind the curtain, but like I tend to grab these responses in the 30 minutes before we go to record. And so sometimes I'm a little (laughs) pressed for time and I don't get the chance to editorialize some of your responses the way I should. And so like, if you can just like make it more about what it made you feel and what it, maybe a memory it sparked for you or something like that. Or, or even we love the color commentary on plot. Yeah, text, yeah, like, yeah. If there's something that we missed or something that like is a is of particular interest to you that maybe we might have glossed over, like that's always something that's going to spark but, to my eye. But yeah, the the blessing and the curse is that because we love you guys and you guys love us, is we're getting higher and higher volumes, and we are going to have to start editorializing a little bit and picking and choosing, and you're more likely to get on yeah I, and red I don't want anybody it's... to feel left out and I don't want anybody to feel like their their thoughts were like trimmed down or curated uh, by me uh who yeah. and who may miss you know some of what your intended emotion was or intended thoughts were yeah and so you know just just keep that in mind because, as we're going forward yeah just as we get into this lovely stretch of the show uh to get out of here at a reasonable time for me to go to bed at, you know, 6.30p, just kidding. Um, but for me to, to be, for me to go be chief of the Nap Nap and Juice Box squad, um, we, do, we do have to start picking and choosing a little bit. So, so Lauren, what the, with all that in mind, what the listeners have to say about this one. And Daniel already insisted on tapping in this week. So this is going to be a shared one, you guys. Uh, Audrey T says, Flutie Flakes, I want to try some my dang self. Hope they're good, Mark. Toddler Reese. Could that kid get any cuter? Said in my Chandler Bing voice, which unfortunately I didn't watch enough friends, so I don't know how to do that voice. I just love this proposal. Dear future husband, please put my ring in a freezer of the house you just bought us. And why also, why is Cleo annoying me now? I used to really like her when the show when this show first aired, but now when she's not in an episode or only shown once, I don't miss her. I take partial blame for that. Uh <laughs> Valerie Z says only a handful of episodes on the show have made me cry. This is one of them. The sequence when Carrie has to intubate the woman against her wife's wishes and when the priest is baptizing the baby is gut-wrenching. One of Abby's fiercest advocacy episodes. Allie M. says, Mark and Elizabeth are my OTP, meaning I am always on Lizzie's side as far as STT goes. So this is a great episode for me. <sighs> Lizzie just did a little fist pump. Hell yeah. Uh, They had nice parallels at both the beginning and end of their days, starting with a fight over Mark still living in Susan's 90s apartment and trying to be a bachelor, but then he very sweetly surprised her with with his excitement over the ice maker in the new house. I didn't like how clearly this set up how Abby knows everything. There's no way an OB nurse would be called without an OB present to attend the birth of a preemie, with the exception being if Abby were a nurse practitioner or a midwife maybe, but I could be wrong. 
and I think she deserved what she got from Colburn for walking out on her patient. Finally, I do love the song Sand and Water now. It was one of the first songs I added to my ER playlist. Grace B says, Discord said this was too long, so I put it here. Lauren, I will resist the urge to apologize. (laughs) Sand and Water is the first episode of ER I ever saw. I know I was in elementary school and I was under the age of nine, but I'm guessing it was a rerun since I would have been two when this episode originally aired. I was just flipping through channels and then all I remember is a woman begging doctors to stop her baby from coming early and then the baptism on the roof. In my memory, the trauma room is darker and the helicopter pad is a lot brighter, so I'm wondering if that's an HD thing or not. I couldn't tear myself away and it haunted me for the last 15 plus years. I didn't even know this was an episode of ER until I started watching the show. Ming-Na Wen is one of my favorite actresses and she and Laura Innes absolutely bring it. Abby bringing the nurse representation in spades is hands down, though, my favorite thing in this episode. I really wanted to fight Janet Coburn. Like, I know she has a substantial point, but I don't care. I love that Mark stands up for Abby and makes a point of acknowledging that she's doing the hard work out of everyone involved in caring for this family. I would like to see more of this, Mark. I can't believe I forgot that Glenda and her partner are also in this episode. Lucas' kindness and integrity are the reasons I like him so much, and watching Carrie, especially knowing what we know of who she will be in the future, just adds layers of definitely frustration, and I'm really not sure what else. I absolutely forgot, sorry to Maul and Lizzie, that Mark proposes in this episode. (laughs) Is it cute? Yes. How dare. But all I could think about this time round was how cold that ring must be. Alex Kingston doesn't even flinch, and then she brings her hands up to Anthony Edwards' face, and I'm just like, aren't you both freezing? Uh, And Jen, please don't hate me. Hear me out. As much as I... It must be Jen T, not Nurse Jen. (laughs) Jen, please don't hate me. Hear me out. As much as I love Luca and Abby together, and as terribly ill-advised as this sponsorship is, I kind of like the relationship Carter and Abby have, at least at first. What it turns into Thank makes you. me sad, but I'm looking forward to getting to see them play off each other for the next several episodes because I think Noah Wiley and Maura Tierney work really well together and it's fun to watch. Final thoughts. Bench was cute in this episode. It's hard for me to enjoy them because Cleo is not so much a character as an aberration when needed, but they were <laughs> adorable and made me smile. And seriously, fuck Romano. This might be the most I've ever hated him. I don't know why, but this isn't even nearly the most egregious thing he has done or will do. But he deserves to step on all of the Legos. P.S. Daniel, the neonatologist, is played by Jim Jansen, who played HUD Secretary Bill Fisher on The West Wing. Secretary Fisher succeeded Secretary O'Leary, who was played by our very own CCH Pounder. Look at that. Nice. It rhymes. All right. Speaking of Jen, Jen T says, okay, so here we go. I'm recording my pod in 15, so I hope I can get this done by then. Oh, God, that doesn't bode well. You probably won't. Uh, I'm sure the Green Day fans will cover everything about the argument house proposal. Even though I'm not a huge fan of the pairing, I still find those scenes very sweet. The Benton and Romano clash is hard to watch because while Romano is technically right, he's such a dick. Just, ooh, poor Benton. Luca and Carrie's story is wonderfully done and still is wonderfully done and shows us how far we still have to go for LGBTQA rights. Luca advocating so hard for the patient's partner being the one to make the call, while Carrie, who hasn't come out or even acknowledged her sexuality yet, has to play the heavy, is so well done, and it's unfortunate that some of that bureaucracy is still in place today. Y'all, get a living will. The baby. Okay, so... 
This whole story, and therefore this episode, is extremely hard to watch for me. It was bad enough before I had kids, but all of the dead kids episodes are much harder to watch now. But even before that, it was difficult because my parents went through the exact same thing. Literally. Down to the gestational age of all of, and all of the problems that followed. I was three and I still remember some of that time, and still put flowers on my sister's grave every year. So this episode in particular is one of the worst for me to watch. Abby and Mark's compassion throughout this whole thing is wonderfully played, particularly Abby, who shows us exactly how far she will go for her patients and how much she cares. Carter. John Truman Carter III. Ugh. This episode isn't so bad, but he will soon start acting like a punk about his M.A. I'm not a fan of how his recovery story plays out because I feel like the show forgot he's an addict unless it was convenient. Or he's, or it's played as Super Carter. And Abby? What the hell are you doing agreeing to be his sponsor? Big no-no. For exactly the reasons that end up happening. At Knitting Kitty. Excellent username. <laughs> My only quibble with two of my favorite things. My only quibble with this episode is that we need to end the white guy's audacity to buy a whole ass house without his partner's input. Looking at you, Mark and Jim Halpert. Thankfully, Lizzie loves this house and it's fine. But don't buy a house like this. It's not romantic. And you can tell we have a very specific listener base based off this response. Thank you. Uh, At TN Coffee Runner. In my opinion, an underrated episode. Mark's proposal, although adorable, made me wonder why he would put the ring in the freezer of all places. The baby storyline had me crying the whole way through, and Abby and Carter finally connect at the end. It's the start of a tumultuous romantic relationship, but a really great friendship. At KK in San Diego, ah, Mark and Lizzie get engaged, and Carter and Abby start a beautiful sobriety-fueled friendship, but really, this episode (laughs) mainly shows us why Abby is the favorite character for some show watchers, looking at you, Daniel. Don't be fooled by the pastel OB nurse's scrubs or the lack of a medical degree. In this episode, we've all met the passionate force of nature that Dr. Abby Lockhart will become. There she is ordering the neonatal specialist to quit handling the tiny premature soon-to-die baby because he's emotionally torturing the dad. There she is claiming ER space for her grieving patients and telling the staff to go find someplace else for their incoming trauma. She's ignoring Coburn's pages. She is kicking butt and taking names and putting her patients' interests above all else. And that, my friends, is why podcaster Daniel loves her. I mean, yes, all of those things, but also (laughs) I was like... 12 and she was a pretty lady so let that's let let's not discount (laughs) that okay like i saw news radio and liar liar i was already a big maura tierney fan before she was on er uh also Oh, what a sad reminder of how awful it was for gay couples when their unions were not legally recognized, when life partners didn't have a voice in treating their not-in-the-eyes-of-the-state spouses. So Carrie innovates that woman despite her partner's wishes. Sad. And last but not least, at the full-time dad, I think an undervalued wrinkle of the sand and water storylines is how they wove Migna Wen's actual pregnancy into the storyline, and by doing so, gave her character her first real arc. I was surprised on my second and third, fourth and fifth watch at how underutilized Jing Mei was in season six. But with the cast reshuffle complete with Margulies's departure, you can see how everyone's role gets elevated. This, of course, includes Carrie, who begins her own path down her own self-discovery. 
Mark and Lizzie, whose lives are seeming to come blissfully together, though I agree with one of the other commenters that house purchase could have backfired. The growing conflict between Benton and Romano, and it was nothing to do with Elizabeth, just Romano being a racist piece of shit. And Abby emerging as the show's star with the strength we see from her prominently in the show's later run. I love that scene with the neonatal doc. And of course, that beautiful closing scene between her and Carter as a friendship. It's one brimming with potential, but as a relationship, well, I'll leave that to the Carter and Carter and Luca fandom camps to argue about. Oh, and let's not forget Luca's strong work this episode, which lays the groundwork for him to become Carrie's emotional confidant throughout the years. It's an underrated relationship in the show's canon. Season seven's off to a great start. Can't we agree? Yep. <laughs> I agree with you, Aaron. Yep. It's it's been it's been consistent, if not my favorite so far. It's at least it's, you know, it's also it's, two episodes providing, But but I'm just saying, like, because like we've had some where I think season four it was where I was just not feeling it for forever into the season. Mm-hmm. Oh, me and season two. You and any season that wasn't like seasons now. Uh, <laughs> you're right. You did. You did. Dis- you did pop out for a little bit early on for one or two of seasons, the early seasons. Two and three are... Yeah. So not great, but I'm I'm saying so far two ep- two episodes in. Thanks, Daniel, for pointing it out. Two episodes in, we are off to a good start. I'm a later season gal. I know you are. It's okay. That's just the stuff I remember better. Hey, you all get to be wrong about Abby and Carter. I can be wrong about this. <laughs> I'm spiting words. <sighs> Well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today, everyone. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only $1 a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. And for only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Cherry. Two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews and over 50 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes. A free four monthly bonus show called The Lounge. Movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. And who's fixed to those? Where Lauren reads, reads us some ER fan fiction. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Setting the Tone Podcast. And we are at Setting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Setting the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Uh, folks can actually find me hanging out on the official STT Discord community if you want to uh, chat and send shit posts to Daniel and I specifically because Lizzie's bad at checking it unless I tell her to. Um, you can find us on there if you need help finding the link. Just reach out to us on one of our social media accounts and we will be sure to send you an invite. It's chat rooms, but 2002. Yeah. 2022. Yeah. Everything old is new again. It's chat rooms. Except again. I have so many other things I can be doing besides sending in chat rooms. So Well, that's why I tag you if there's anything you need to see. I know. But still, anyway, come hang out. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, though. I am at RandomGamer. That's G-A-M-3-R. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time. Have a great week. Bye.